welcome to the Polygamer Podcast, where gaming is for everyone. Join us as we expand the boundaries of the gaming community. Hello and welcome to the Polygamer Podcast, episode number 56 for November 23rd, 2016. I'm your host, Ken Gagney. Way back on the very first episode of Polygamer in July of 2014, I interviewed Mr. Matt Kahn, the founder of GamerX, an annual video game convention for the LGBT community and its allies. I had previously supported GamerX on Kickstarter, but the person I was years ago was sincerely hesitant to attend the event itself. I wasn't sure I would fit in. I finally attended my first GamerX in December of 2015 and had a fantastic time. So I was delighted to discover that GamerX was coming to the East Coast. I live in Boston. GamerX has always been held in California. But earlier this month, in November of 2016, it came to New York City for the first time. So I hopped a five-hour bus ride down and had a great time at GamerX East. In fact, I moderated a panel that included several alumni from this podcast. Not only Mr. Matt Kahn from episode number one, but also Khadija Marenkov and Francesca Carletto leon We had a great time talking about how we engage in diversity efforts in the gaming space and what keeps us inspired. This episode of Polygamer is the audio from that panel. Unfortunately, we couldn't get a direct feed from the microphones, so I did my best to get a live recording, and so I apologize if the audio quality isn't quite up to the standard that previous episodes of Polygamer have set. I will be honest, though, I was hesitant to go to this GamerX, not because of the convention, but because it was right on the heels of the United States presidential election, which left me feeling just devastated. However, I was glad I went to GamerX because I found a community of people who were feeling similarly, and it was very helpful to know that we're all in this together and that there are things we can do to affect positive change, both in gaming and elsewhere in the world. In fact, I've compiled some of those resources into a document that you can find at helplaw.us slash call. If you're wondering how to call your senators, your representatives, your speakers of the houses, your minority and majority leaders, this list gives you all the phone numbers and the scripts, as well as scripts you can use to fax House Oversight Committee and the Electoral College. Helplaw.us slash call. And if you go to just helplaw.us, You'll be redirected to Amazon, where 4% of your purchase will be donated to the ACLU. 4%, that's eight times more than if you use the Amazon Smile program. Some people are calling for Amazon to be boycotted because they do sell the merchandise brand of our president-elect, but I choose to support them for other reasons, such as the generous support of the ACLU and also their sterling track record for supporting LGBT rights. So again, if you're doing any holiday shopping, either Black Friday or Cyber Monday, go to helplaw.us. In the meantime, I hope this episode of Polygamer provides you with some inspiration and some encouragement in what can be a challenging time. I hope you and yours have a wonderful and safe Thanksgiving, if that is a holiday that you celebrate. And regardless, I'll see you again next month. Hello and welcome to the Polygamer Podcast. My name is Ken Gagney, your host, and we are recording live today on Sunday, November 13th at GamerX East in New York City. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time or just those who need a refresher, the Polygamer Podcast is a bi-weekly interview-based podcast of equality and diversity in gaming by celebrating those who are performing and doing amazing, outrageous, extremely interesting and unusual things, like the three guests we have today who are all alumni or alumnae of the Polygamer podcast. Polygamer was founded in July of 2014 as a result of a podcast, not a podcast, a panel I recorded at PAX East that year, talking about feminism in gaming. And I decided to continue that conversation beyond the confines of PAX, which not everybody can or wants to be present at, and have the conversation continue with a different guest on every episode. And three alumni that we have joining us today. First, there is Mr. Matt Kahn, the CEO of Midboss and president of GamerX. Hello, Matt. Hello. How are you? So you were the guest, I mean... Very literally, you would I would not be here if it weren't for you, and not just because you founded the event that we're all standing at, but because you were guest number one on Polygamer. Yeah. And it's really hard to get a first guest because you can't look 
at what you've accomplished. You can't show off a portfolio. You just have to say, hey, I have an unproven concept, an idea for a podcast. You have no idea who I am. Do you want to be on my show? And you said, sure. Uh, yeah, well, you know, I think that you, you just were talking to you, I could tell that this is something you're super passionate about, and you're super smart and cool guy, so, like, of course I've jumped out the opportunity. Oh, you make me blush, come on, man. You're also the only person to have been a guest on my show twice. Actually, there's one other person, Susan Hart, but you were on episode number 32, I believe, as well. Oh, now I'm going to do three times. Oh my goodness. And that was actually a bit of a bait and switch because I have another podcast all about indie games and you were supposed to be on that podcast, yeah. but you wouldn't stop talking and that podcast is only supposed to be a half hour long. So at the end of the show, I'm like, hey Matt, how about if we put this audio on Polygamer instead? You revealed my ruse. Really, I just started all these events and I just love to talk. Like, <laughs> well, I think, I think loquaciousness is a positive quality in an event organizer. Thank you. So well done. Also joining us today is Khadija Marekov. Hey, everybody. You can tell she is a professional voiceover artist. That is her accomplishment. And she came onto my podcast because she did an ethnographic study of the indie game scene in Boston and just fell in love with that community and has not been able to tear herself away from it oh. ever since. Hello, Khadija. Yeah, it's like fly paper, and I'm just a fly, and I just can't get the hell off of you guys. But yeah, I'm really no, no. I he he's he's telling the truth though. I uh, made a lot of good friends. We have a lot in common. Did you have a question there that not I just yet, totally forgot? Yet. Okay, that's uh, good. And you have also been on my show twice, but once the guest, you are the only person to have hosted an episode of Polygon oh. myself. Yeah, it was like really awkward because I'm not really good at interviewing at all. So I suggest you like don't have to listen to it, but it was pretty cool. It was with Pushing Up Roses, who's this like really, if you haven't heard of her, she's like this really great Let's Player. And she's like beautiful and like awesome and has these amazing tattoos she designed for herself. She's like the coolest. Yeah. So anyway, so I really was, it was a pleasure interviewing her. I'm just not the best at it. No, <laughs> I mean, she, real. Did, she did a fantastic job. <laughs> one of the reasons I founded Polygamer is because as a straight white cisgender guy, my perspective and my experience is extremely limited. And I am creating a space where I am asking people to take the time to share with me their experiences. And, that, and thus also with the audience, that people who haven't had those experiences or don't know how to ask those questions can learn from each other. At that point in the development of Polygamer, this was episode number 10 that you hosted, uh, I really didn't know yet how to talk to a woman who does YouTube videos without asking her, so what is, what is it like to be a woman on YouTube? And that's not what she wants to talk about. She wants to talk about her art and her craft and because there's so much more to her than just the gender she was assigned at birth. And so I asked Khadija, I saw that you liked her on Facebook. And so I said, could you please do this podcast? And I can learn from you the, the, the best way to talk to people about these topics. And I hope I've done a better job since then. I just had my show this past week, uh, Seriously Clara, who is a Twitch live streamer of indie games. And we had a great discussion, and it was a lot of fun. Nice. And the whole time I was talking to her, I was just thinking, Khadija would be so proud of me. <laughs> or, you didn't tell me. Well, I was too nervous. <laughs> because what if you weren't? <laughs> I like the idea of you being proud of me. Oh, okay, that's fine, man. Yeah. That's good. It's very smart. Uh, I'm also putting uh, people's Twitter handles up on the screen. Obviously, it's an audio podcast, so those handles are I am GameBits, Matt is MattCon, Khadija is, uh, how do you pronounce your Twitter handle? Oh, Khachov, to make it difficult. So it's K H A K H O V. And the last person we have on our show on our panel today is Francesca Carletto Leon. Hello, Francesca. Hey there. So you are the co-founder of Contigo. Yes. Contigo Studios, who is here at Gamer X exhibiting the game Starcrossed. You are also a uh, player satisfaction representative. Ah, uh, yeah, it's like player support. Player support at yeah. Proletariat. Yep. And do they make a Zombie World domination game? So, uh, their first uh, title, which is a mobile game, which I wasn't part of because that was um, the previous game, um, is World Zombination. Um, it's a really cool, really gorgeous mobile game, which is actually why I became interested in the company and started playing it. Just I was really impressed by how gorgeous this mobile game was. 
Um, and the game they're working on now is Streamline, which is actually a stream-first game. So it's actually designed to be broadcasted like on Twitch and um, incorporates like viewer interaction into the game. Nice. Yeah. And but at the time you were on my podcast, which is just episode thirty-three or thirty-five, yeah. about a year ago, you hadn't yet uh, taken on those roles. You were on my show because I met you at Women in Games Boston, which is a monthly meetup that everybody should check out, especially if you're in Boston. <laughs> and you are the founder of the Diversity in Games Club at Worcester Polytechnic Institute, or WPI, which was your undergraduate at the time, now your alma mater, and also my alma mater, just divided by about 15 years. Uh, so I thought it was great that she, that we had that in common and that you were approaching the subject at such an early point in your career, whereas it took me you know, about 15 years longer to get there. And your Twitter handle is, how do you pronounce that? Chesky? It's a Chesky, yeah. So C-E-S-C-H-I-I-I. I I Captain. All right. Now that we're all introduced, we're all going to sit together as friends, because I don't like podiums and lecterns. It seems to imply some sort of a hierarchy, which makes me really uncomfortable. So, hi, Matt. Hello. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? Man? Oh. So, what, I, the reason that all these amazing people have been on my show, and by the way, Matt and Khadija were among the first five guests back when it was also a video podcast, which was super awkward. It was just like two talking heads on webcams staring at each other for an hour. And I, was, and I was still trying to figure out how this thing worked. So I had like these studio lights. And by the end of the show, I was just like all sweat. It was awful. And uh, after <laughs> Khadija was the very last episode, I'm like, I'm not going to put anybody through that ever again. But thank you, you two especially, because that took a lot of courage to put yourself out there like that. Uh, but each of you have been on the podcast, not just because... Uh, you may represent a certain demographic, but because you're all activists, you all are doing something to advance the causes of equality and diversity in gaming, which is, I think, fantastic. I'm curious, what motivated you to take on that role? Like, sure, we all want to see things happen in our community, but not all of us say, and I will be the one to make it happen. So I'm curious to know, what pushed you over the edge to say, I am going to be the person to do that thing. Why don't we start with Matt and go down the line? Uh, you know, I think it, it just came down to, like, I grew up in Vermont. Like, I, think I was born here in New York, but I grew up in Vermont my entire life. It's like, um, it's 98.1% white, so, like, the school I went to, there's, you know, no, there's, there's, like, one Asian kid, two black kids, and it's, like, 2,800 white kids, you know? And so it was, like, when, um, it was in my mind, I was like, I gotta escape to the West Coast. When I came out to the West Coast, uh, I ran into a lot of, like, I, I had this dream world that, oh, the West Coast was gonna be this perfect place, and that there's gonna be no more bigotry, you know, whatever, and come out and be, I could just, like, you know, I'll be, I be gay there, and be great. And I just ran into so many things that, like, just totally shattered my life. You know, I had, like, the whole, like, Paris syndrome, where I just kind of, like, came out to the West Coast, and I was like, I ran into all these, like, you know, issues. And I was like, this is not fair, you know, and, and, and it just may come from a place of privilege, but I was like, well, this isn't fair, and I want to change it, and I don't like this. So I just kind of did it, right? And that's like kind of, in a way, like a very stubborn, kind of tantrum-y thing to do. But uh, that was sort of just like, I just wanted to see the world that, in my mind, that I thought that the world could be. And, um, yeah, I'm just glad that other people feel the same way, and other people were like, yeah, like, this, is, this, should, this could be better, let's make it better. So, yeah. And I've always appreciated how open you've been about explaining why an event like GamerX exists. Because I remember, before I do each interview, I, I read up on the people I'm going to be speaking with. And there was one interview where you said something along the lines of, people who ask why GamerX has to exist just don't get it. And so I had you on my podcast, and I asked you, why does something like GamerX have to exist? <laughs> and you didn't get mad at me, and it was great. And I really appreciated you just recognizing that I wasn't trying to be a jerk. I just, I didn't get it. I had already backed your Kickstarters because I trusted that you probably knew something about this that I didn't if you thought that GameRex had to exist. But you took the time to explain it to me. I mean, yeah, I, I think that it's, you know, like we obviously live in a really uh, weird time right now. Um, and, you know, uh, there's definitely, like, the onus shouldn't be on um, minority groups, underrepresented groups, to have to go out of their way to explain to people how, you know, like, you know, whatever. Like, they already are kind of dealing with enough. But by that same token, if we want to look at things pragmatically, like, we can't just expect the rest of the world to get better unless we actually go out of our way to help explain to them why this is 
the kind of world that they want to live. You know, like people who have the privilege and the power are not going to just, you know, uh, automatically be like, yeah, let's change things up. You know, like you have to convince them this is, mm. you know, not not just going to be good for uh, underrepresented groups, but it's actually going to make their lives better by including, you know, like the more kind of colors that we add to the to the, to the pot, it's just going to make things better. Um, and it doesn't mean that the the straight or the white is going to get, wa- you know, it's not going to get washed out. It's still going to be there. It's just going to be this nicer, better stew of, yeah. you know, flavors. Mmm, stew. Yeah. All right. I, want, I actually want to talk a lot more about that specific topic, but I also want to bring in our other guests. Uh, Khadija, I met you when you were speaking at Boston Indies, which is another monthly meetup in Boston. You were speaking about your ethnographic studies. And then you also spoke at AlterConf, and I've since heard you speak at Women in Games Boston as well. Now, what similar question to Matt, what is prompting you to do all these things, to be so visible and so present and so outspoken? I think the answer has a few facets to it. One of, one of them is my personality. Like, I feel, like, just honestly, you know, I am, I am outgoing enough that I can go up and talk about something that I feel I have. Like, I have this, this knowledge base. Maybe people look at me and they don't know I have it. So I have to step up and do it, and I'm comfortable doing that. At the same time, I feel very, I have it in my mind knowing that there are people who have the knowledge base who maybe don't feel comfortable going up to do it. And if I'm comfortable, I should probably go and do it. And I, not only that, I kind of enjoy it, too. I like the spotlight, I guess, you know. That's <laughs> so why I'm in voiceover. I like people hearing me. Just to be really honest with you, if you had that in you and you want to help people, that's a way you should use that part of yourself. That's, that's one part of it. Another thing is, it's, re- it's related to my religion, okay, just to be honest with you. In Islam, we believe on the Day of Judgment, when the end of times comes we're going to stand in front of God and he's going to be like yo what did you do you know and the thing is that you can't lie the whole point is that you can't lie about what you've done it, there's it's in more fanciful language it's like your tongue will speak for you and tell God what you have done now I'm I don't even know if that's really going to happen okay because I don't know but imagine you just come to any point in your life right like you're standing in front of somebody who you respect and they're like how could you do that thing? How could you do that thing or say that thing that you said? And if I can't at least back it up with good intentions, with knowledge, with something, like I always want to feel like I'm doing, I'm trying to do the right thing. So to me, it's really important to open my big mouth and do the right thing with it. You know, and I don't think I do it all the time because I talk a lot, but. I feel like that's, that's it's, as I said, it's like my personality and it really is a strong belief in what I was brought up in. I think that's it, yeah. And, you know, just there, the odds are if you say enough things, some of them will be right. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's safe. <laughs> Actually, it's like really not. <laughs> but yeah, like don't do that at all. Like, should I have some backup, please? <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's lovely how... Uh, it, you draw from your religion on that because there are other religions with similar concepts. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the Bible's New Testament says don't hide your light under a bushel, you know. And be, so mm-hmm. any talents that you have, it's to your benefit and the world's to share them. And in this case, for you, that means speaking out about things you are passionate about to these audiences. Right. And there's something else that, you know, I know not everyone believes, but my emotional reactions to things or your, not just mine, but like anyone's emotional reaction to things matters. Like it, it matters when you hear something and it bothers you. So it, examine it and then tell other people what you figured out about what's bothered you because it's probably bothered somebody else. That's really where I started, you know, was post 9-11. I'm a Muslim. My mother wears hijab and she's much darker skinned than me. She was getting, you know, TSA freaking loves to talk to my mother. You know, I don't like that. And I know how that makes me feel. And I want, like, I don't want other people joking about that. I don't want other people, um, taking that lightly. So I will open my mouth, you know, and it, it always comes from a personal thing. It's never like some abstract theory about what's not right to do. It always comes from something that I've felt or seen someone else go through. And when it becomes that real, it's really hard to keep your, to keep your mouth shut, you know? It, get, it gets really difficult, and it becomes more of a, like a punishment to yourself. 
when you don't do something for people you give a crap about. Thank you. And Francesca, you, uh, I'm speaking specifically about your founding of the Diversity and Games Club at WPI, yeah. which you did when you were, what, a sophomore? I was, uh, I was actually a junior, uh, but previously I'd been involved in running um, the Game Development Club on campus there. Okay, so you were like 19, 20 years old. Yeah. Okay, and what prompted <laughs> you to start that group? Because I, I, obviously I studied at WPI like you did, and I know that WPI is extremely intense. Many students can commit themselves fully to maybe one extracurricular, extracurricular activity or maybe two, but you decided to create your own extracurricular activity on top of double majoring. Yeah. And so <laughs> what was the impetus to put that much strain on yourself? Um, I like being busy. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't see it as a, as a strain. It's just like, what else can I, what else can I do? What else can I do that I enjoy? And it was all work that I really enjoyed. So it, it never felt... Um, like straining at all, fortunately, um, which was great. Um, but so the the reason I decided to um, found the Diversity in Games Club um, was because I had been in this program, um, and I'm one of the sort of, sort of new people in the industry who had the opportunity to go through these new game development programs in university. Um, and I think uh, when, the major itself was pretty small, um, but we had maybe five women in the starting class freshman year, and then I slowly saw them sort of drop out um, as the years went by, and that was really disheartening um, to me. So I wanted to create a sort of community where um, not only women, but sort of underrepresented people on campus and in the major particularly could come together and just have a space not even to always discuss like, oh, this sucks but a place where we could just talk about the games that we like and kind of create a safe community where we all felt comfortable and could form friendships, um, which was really great. Um, but yeah, so th that was, that was uh, mostly the, the motivation for that there. And the next question I have for each of the attendees, the next question I have is, how do you, I mean, you, you set out to create these groups with some goals in mind, perhaps not like a specific concrete uh, finish line, like, oh, we're done, we can stop doing this. But you want to see some sort of a change in the world, in your community, in your life. I'm curious to know, how do you define success? How do you know when what you're doing is what you set out to do? Why don't we start with Francesca? Okay. Um, yeah, so I think um, also uh, one of the things that really spurred me to um, organize this uh, new club on campus was that um, I took a uh, philosophy and ethics class uh, really related to gaming. It's one of the required courses wow. in our major, um, but you're only required to take sort of one social issues class, and Dylan was in that class with me. Um, and I think you probably agree that we went through this course and I felt like I was learning a lot, but um, the last day of class came and I gave uh, like a presentation about like women's sexuality as it is presented in games and how it's not great most of the time. Oh. Um, and it was uh, me and one other woman in the class and just the questions that arose from the other people in the class who are mostly um, white young men um, were a little alarming. And the professor also acknowledged they were a little alarming that we had spent all of this time together sort of talking about sort of ethics, morality, um, being inclusive, um, and these are these are the people that are going to be going into the industry and forming, you know, their their own companies and things. Um, so that was a little alarming, and I thought, hey, maybe we should create another space where it's you know people can come and discuss those ideas and talk about it and kind of further their knowledge about these topics. Um, and for me, I felt successful after we had formed the club, and I would see these um, like um, most mostly men who would come into this space kind of be, kind of a little uh, skeptical, right? Being like, oh, like, what is this space about? Like, why does it exist? I'm just going to come because my friend invited me. Um, and then actually getting really involved in the discussion and uh, expressing opinions that even if they did differ a little from the majority of the club, we would have a really great discussion about it um, that would spur from these different ideas. Um, so that was really great to see. Great. Khadija? So the question is basically, do I feel like I've met my goals? Or is that, because just, you know, just to reiterate. Uh, well, not just if you have met your goals, because I don't think any of us is at a point in our careers where we can I say well. that we ha are a success or a failure. But I want to know, how can you tell if or when you are being effective at affecting change? 
Oh man. Okay. So um, I don't know how good I am at affecting change because sometimes I do feel like because for me it's more giving talks, right? It's not really like setting up a club or anything like that, which is like another way to give information to people. When you give a talk and you have the title of something like you know my ethnographic study, blah blah blah. It's the same type of people who show up, and they already have it in their heads that they want to do a good job and do good work. So I always wonder if I'm just kind of reinforcing something that has to be said, or if I'm actually getting somebody to be like, "Huh, that's a different thing, and I'm gonna do this thing differently." You know, I I just don't know, and it doesn't mean that it doesn't happen. It means that I. You know, maybe I, I'm lacking in touching base with people after I give a talk. It could be very, that's very well be the case, or um, maybe perhaps I am just not talking to the people who need to have their eyes open, or those people aren't ready to come and listen to my talks. So I can't, you know. So maybe if that's my job, right, to reinforce that, I don't necessarily think that's the worst thing to do. But it does make me wonder if. I'm doing the best that I can. Like it is an insecurity, just to be really, really honest with you about that. Yeah. And, and do you have any talks upcoming where you can apply these criteria to see? Hey, that was a great talk. I do have something going on at 2 p.m. today with lovely Carolyn Van Esseltine. We're a great team because, like, I'm academic background and I did research and stuff, and she just has, she's just written stuff. Like she's just like created. And while I'm all theoretical and like all up in here and like ooh thinking, like she's actually done it, and in such it's with such empathy that I knew we had to talk to her. So our talk is all about how our two worlds meet and how she and I both are now like we kind of have grown off of each other's knowledge bases. And I think that like if I can at least get someone to come in and say, oh how nice that two different types of people. Did something good together, like I would feel like that's a great accomplishment because it shows people that two different worlds they don't collide all the time. Like they like actually sit side by side and make good stuff together. So yeah, I really hope that it does like in, not inspire. I hope it inspires people. I mean, it's, I, I hate the way that sounds, but like <laughs> I really hope that that it makes people think about it a little bit. I do think that's an accomplishment. I don't want to belittle any little bit of thought. You know, it doesn't have to reach a certain threshold that I'm happy. You know, I, I like I, I'm still learning to deal with the fact that sometimes you can't enact everything you want, and that you should be proud of whatever you can do. Yeah, I recommend going to that talk. Carolyn is also an alumna of Polygamer, and so is Philip Jones, who was here this weekend. So there are quite a people, quite a few people. It's sort of like a who's who of Polygamer. <laughs> it's exciting. And Matt, it's you, hey. So I'm wondering, your event, Gamer X, is very concrete. It's perhaps more concrete than what the rest of us are doing. And you could define success in any number of ways. You could say that more than X number of attendees is a success. You could say that ending the event in the red, or rather the black. The black. I always confuse those two colors. You don't in the red. No, no. You could say that ending in the red is a failure. So, for example, but uh, probably you have goals beyond just the bottom line of GamerX. Because you probably, I mean, certainly when you set out to create GamerX, you hoped you would break even, but you didn't set out necessarily to make a profit. This is not a money-making venture for you. You have other ideals at stake here. So, okay. so how do you define success? Um, yeah, no, I mean, if, you know, if the bottom line or, like, getting number of attendees were, you know, like, that's easy, right? Like, that's not, you can't really correlate the quantity to the quality. Like, the, the, the point of GamerX is to have a space for people who, you know, feel like they need this space and if that's for 50 people or 5,000 it doesn't really even like to me I don't, I don't care um, as long as you know we can keep doing it as long as you know like like literally this doesn't cost us more money than we can spend and then we can't we can't do it anymore um, it's tough because you know I definitely have like moving goalposts when we created the first game racks I thought it would just be one and done and we just kind of create like this really cool like we didn't have to be sustainable i didn't care if I, you know if we made any money on it we didn't but i just you know just wanted to make something really cool just to kind of show the industry like you can have you know an event like this and it can be successful and just show people that like we exist 
Um, but so many people were like, oh, this is important. I want to keep going to this thing. I've met so many friends. Like, I want to keep going. And so, you know, I was like, okay, let's, let's keep doing it. Um, but I'm also, like, super cognizant of, like, uh, you know, at least when we was just Game Rex in, in San Francisco, that, you know, you're, you're basically providing space to the people who have the most privilege, who can afford to live in the Bay Area or can afford to fly out there, you know, like, that limits it to so many people. Um, and, you know, and logistically, I would love to if we could bring GamerX to, like, you know, rural areas or places. Like, I can't even imagine if you, you know, if y'all, y'all are, are, no offense, but you don't, no, no, I think none of you are under 18. So, um, right? Okay. No, that's an offense. No, no, that's an offense. But I mean, just in terms of, like, um, you know, we're, we're all adults here. Uh, I can't even imagine right now, like, what it's like to be a, a teenage queer kid. Like, in this, you know, right now, like, if you think about how bad it was for you, just imagine what it's like today. Uh, and that's why I'm like, I, I want to figure out how we can reach, you know, people in, in those areas. And it's, it's tough because and that's where I feel like I fail. Where it's like, you know, we can only work within the confines of, like, what resources are available to us. Like, Microsoft wants to give us space. They don't have a space in, like, Kansas or something. I mean, maybe they do, but, you know, like, like we have to kind of work within, within those means. And so, for us, that's part of why we created read-only memories um, and before read-only memories we actually created an app called Gamer Connect which was supposed to be like a gay gamer like kind of dating meeting each other website that we made but it was just too logistically complicated to you know use because you know to, to build an app like that you need money uh, but creating uh, read-only memories was like how do we create something that is scalable that isn't just going to you know speak to a very like you know with an event we have you know five seven hundred people here two thousand three thousand people came around so that's only a t- you know a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a percent of the gay population out there so by creating a game we're like okay well why don't we create something that's going to be you know scalable that we can kind of get out to a larger population and kind of show people that you can include queer positive characters in games and it's like it doesn't have to be boring or like it can be something that's like yeah like how, like I want it, I want it to be something that can normalize these characters in mainstream, um, and that that to me is like my like success point is like yeah I want to make sure that like with, with, there are different goals but like with GamerX I'm not trying to like reach the world I just want to make sure that people who need a space have that space but with, like read only memories and like our digital products I want to make sure that we reach as many people as possible just so they can kind of see these characters that maybe they don't normally see and be like oh yeah like because you imagine like the most like conservative just like awful person who was just like I always play games you know like video games and they go oh well that this game had a gay character in it or whatever and go I guess that wasn't so bad right or like or like oh I didn't like that that guy was so annoying but like they at least they like they saw him and they you know they acknowledged that, that he existed right and like that's like a step from wherever their mind was before so that's kind of our goals like there's different goals right like gamer actually want to hold the highest standard possible and make sure that we have the best space and like you know hold everyone to the high standard with our games and I understand if we want to be subversive and change minds we can't necessarily come out the gate and be like judge 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 we have to kind of slowly allow them to you know come back to the, the good side of things so what you said about Microsoft not having a space in Kansas I actually go to a computer convention in Kansas City Missouri every July <laughs> and this past summer I was giving a talk there on uh, retro gaming and I had a list of classic Apple II computer games. And I said, if you grew up playing these games, then you should check out these Steam games. Because they have very similar concepts, aesthetics, gameplay, whatever. And I said, if you liked Shadowgate and Deja Vu and The Uninvited, then you should check out Read Only Memories. And I talked about, I showed the game off and I talked about what they would like about it. And I said, one of the unusual things about this game is that you can choose your own pronouns. You can choose your own gender identity. So if you are accustomed to playing games where you don't see yourself represented, Read Only Memories is a game where you can. And people come from all over the world to attend this convention. They're not all from the Midwest. But there were some people in the audience who had a look of absolute befuddlement on their faces as I talked about this. Because for some of them, they may never have heard of that concept before or not understood why it mattered. But what I didn't know when I was giving that talk was that there were three transgender individuals in the audience. And we'd never had anybody from that demographic at that event before. And they came up to me after and said, we can't wait to check out that game. I mean, yeah, well, I think there's, there's two different goals with that. It's like, you know, I want to make sure that people who don't see themselves in games are like, you know, like, cool, I can see myself, I can play myself, whatever. But um, when I go, when, like, because I, I try to 
is, is maybe as, as not good as it is for the soul. I try to like really keep my mind open in terms of like I read the four chan threads and stuff about our games and gamer X and stuff. Like I really like, I try to dive deep. I, like I need to I need to know what they're thinking. Like I have to. Uh, and, and you know it's, it's hard it, at least in the beginning it was really soul crushing um, but you know I see people making fun of it and being like but like, they still play the game and they go oh I chose the Z pronouns because that's funny <laughs> right but you don't know like the thing is that they might live in a conservative environment where like they're never allowed to explore these feelings ever right and the fact that they are now this is we're created with a video game like that is their safe space they can go and like if they maybe nothing comes of it maybe that is like how they can actually explore like that they're maybe they're having gender feelings, mm-hmm. right? Cool and like make fun of it. I don't care. Like I mean, I'm glad that you have this like cool play. You know, plays whatever point. Like I mean, that's the point. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's it's it sucks that like, they don't they haven't connected the pieces, right? But um, yeah, like I, I'm glad. Like so so it's been interesting because like the the original goal wasn't necessarily for that. Like the original was just to kind of be like I want to make sure that people who are coming to it from different gender backgrounds can see themselves. But seeing people who would normally just be like, yeah, like, you know, whatever, play as something that isn't, a, 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 you know, male or, you know, identifying pronouns because it's like, oh, they're exploring. Like, to me, uh, that's actually like, that might be someone who in five, ten years from now is like, oh, okay, like, that actually helped me figure out what, what I was going through, you know? And, um, yeah, like, one of my best friends growing up was like the most, like, conservative, just awful jerk. Like, he's a super bully. And at the time, like, yeah, just a really, just, I really, just a bad person. And, like, five, ten years later, you know, they transitioned. They were like, yeah, I just couldn't, I just couldn't, like, to deal with those feelings at the time. And I just, you know, it was just raging, right? And, uh, you know, I want to make sure, like, I, I hope that, like, games like this can kind of help people kind of be, like, at least, I worry that with, like, Facebook, I mean, this is, no, this is all ties into, like, if you are someone who's queer, or have feelings of things or whatever, but you're in a in a conservative background or all of your, your cohorts are all like of one mindset, right? And so you get like the red feed. It's very hard for you to find outlets for these things. It's just have to like deeper compress it, compress it. And so I worry about making sure that we have some way for people who, you know, might live in those areas or, or be surrounded by those cohorts to, to have an outlet for those feelings. Yeah. Nonetheless though, it can still be rather discouraging. We do, we do all this work. We put these games out here. We put out these events and they're well received. But as you know from Reinforce-Chan, they're not received always the way we hope or intend. And especially at this point in our lives, it's very easy to get discouraged. Things don't always go the way we expect. And so I'd like to know from each of you how you keep yourselves inspired, how you keep yourselves going. When you get discouraged, who do you look to for inspiration or what do you tell yourself to keep yourself going? Like if you want to call out some heroes of yours or some books that you read or some mantras that you utter, that anything that you do just to let yourself know that this is worth doing. Khadija? I think the first answer I want to give is I allow myself to say I'm not doing this. No, not doing this today. You know, um, that's, I mean, that honestly, if I didn't do that sometimes, I don't know what kind of person I would be. I'd probably be so angry that I couldn't even form my thoughts properly. If I got up in front of people, I don't even know what I would be able to say. You know, just to be really honest with you, sometimes the answer to that question is like, how do you stay inspired? By remembering that you're a person and that you can step back and you can choose when to look at or not look at something. And I'm not saying, like, sometimes, you know, when you're from communities or when you are involved in communities that deal with oppressed people, okay, like you have every right, I feel like you have every right in the universe to just step back and close your eyes for a sec. In terms of what actually, when I want to get back into things, I tend to listen to uh, a lot of system up and down and I work out and I like, like seriously, like I just remember like fuck the system, system sucks. And, like, I try and, like, just, I, I, I read Octavia Butler, and I just remember that I'm not alone. There are other people who have thought, have felt, have felt similar things to me, and that we need to just keep on talking. So I, I really, I look at literature, and I look at music. Um, I do also, I have to admit it, I look at my religion as well. Um, there are a lot of, like, stories and parables that come from my religion, from since I was very little, that have comforted me over the years and had me remember who I am, where I came from, and 
Actually, I'm sorry, I know it's like a running list, but、uh, you know, in connection to that, those stories that I have, they come from my family. And that's one thing that's a very cheesy answer, but my grandmother was the first Muslim woman in her country to drive in a car. Now, I know that doesn't sound like a big deal, but it is a really big deal. And she was also one of the only girls in her family of her age to go through all the school that was available to girls. And when I remember her, okay, that helps me a lot because I'm like, well, I really, it's not, oh, she went through so much. It's she had the tools to get through so much. She, you know, and I just have to remember that I have them as well. I have it in me. You know, and I, like, I, I'll, I'll tell you, like, it, you know, some of the cheesiest things get talked about by people who go through a lot. Like, we, we're like, we talk about God a lot. We talk about our family a lot. And the reason is because, like, those things are so primally integrated into what comforts us. And I think that if you, you know, you have someone to look to in your own family who can inspire you, like, that's a freaking gift that I have. Like, I have my grandmother who, as I said, like, not only was she all those things, she was a,、uh, you know, she was a women's rights activist at a time when that didn't exist, you know? And I have to respect that. And I have to say, you know, she fought for something important. And, and I think it's time for me to, to pick myself off the floor and try again. You know, I think that's, that's my long ass <laughs> answer. Francesca? <laughs> well, because I was going to say that I. I feel very outclassed on this panel because you guys are people that I actually look to when I'm feeling down. And I need, like, every time I hear you speak, I'm like monumentally moved.、Um, and there are people in the audience, actually, are people who I, I look to for inspiration when I'm just not, not feeling it that day、um, or that week or anything. Yeah, I'm going to start crying, actually. <laughs> Here, I'll pass it on. I'll come、oh, back yeah, to you. No、that. worries.、Um, well, I mean, I, honestly, like, <laughs> To coming to Gamerax and running these events is always like what inspires me in terms of just like, I mean, you know, that you know, sounds weird, but、um, you know, like, I don't really like planning events. I don't like doing logistics stuff. I, don't, like, I really hate it. I mean, I like talking to people, I like doing stuff.、Mm-hmm. And, you know, Gamerax is a lot of work and a lot of it is volunteer based. You know, when you're volunteers, you know, they have good heart. You kind of have to do most of the, the work. You know, logistically.、Um, but then when I come to the event and I see what this means to people, and people tell their stories, or they say, oh, because of this event, I started doing this or that, or, or I met this person who, whatever, I'm like, like you know, it inspired me so much to like, feel like, okay, I am doing something that matters, you know. And it's, again, it's tough because when you, when you read stuff on 4chan or the internet, you're not going to the events and you're just planning it all year, you're like, what am I doing? Like, you know, like, people don't seem to care. And it's not until you actually go to the event and you, know, you kind of see when, like, that, that, that it's all becomes real again. And、um, yeah, I think that, like, just talking to people and like, you know, building these relationship and, and relationships and seeing how much people just, even in the last couple of years, have just been, been so much more comfortable about kind of just being their true selves and、uh, just how much of a change that was from five, ten years ago when you go to these events. It's, like, it's a lot more straight laced.、Um, Honestly, like, I mean, in terms of like, people who inspire me, like,、uh, I'm actually like, I don't know if any of y'all went to like playing with Pride panel yesterday, but Matt Baum is, is you know, really, really cool. Like, he's this guy in Seattle who's filming this documentary about queer gamers, and、um, he does like a million things at once. He has a book about like, redefined marriage, you know, about all these people who suffer for, for queer marriage, and all these other things. And, like,、um, I don't know, I just, when I see other people who just are just like, I want, you know, I want to fix this too, it helps me. Me realize that I'm not. It's like, you know, okay, not, not to talk about politics, but seeing all like, the protests and stuff really riled me up. It was like, you know, at first I was like, are people not outraged? Is like, this really going to happen? And seeing that people are, gonna, are this, that willing to go out there and fight makes me go, like, okay, like, I'm not alone in my feelings here.、Um, and, and, you know, people are willing to put their, their own like, physical safety on the line or brave the cold or whatever. I should at least have the power to, to say something. My social network, or, or you know, among my friends, like you know, and so I think that when I see the bravery of people who are being what I think more brave than, than, than me, that inspires me to really step up my, my bravery game a little bit.、Hmm. No, that's awesome. It's good to know that you're in good company, that there are other people out there doing work like that.、Uh, I want to mention some people that inspire me, certainly people who have been on my podcast because 
more often than not, these are people who don't know me, and I'm approaching them on the internet and saying, hey, I'm a white dude who identifies as a gamer who wants you to explain to me why you do what you do. That is not an invitation that a lot of people are going to say yes to. And yet they do. They give me the benefit of the doubt. They trust that people have good intentions. They see the best in people. And they put themselves out there to talk about something they're passionate about. Everybody on this stage has done that. And I'm so grateful to each of you who have done that. Not to interrupt you, though, but I mean, like, it's clear that you're coming from a place of good faith. And I think that's the biggest difference, you know, is that when people are like, why do you guys do this thing? It's like, you know, we're smart people. Like, we have intuition. We can, you can generally tell that someone's coming from a place of good and bad faith. And it's obvious that you're someone who actually cares and wants to make this world a better place. And you, like, you care about gaming. You want to see more voices represented. And you do, you, you, that's why you do what you do. And so that's why I think people want to talk to you. Is like, it's not like people are like, oh, we don't want to... Wait. If you're a white, straight, cis male, you're a bad person. It's that, you know, it's just that people are coming from a place of bad faith, generally, when they're like questioning motives mm. but when you're coming from a place of good faith and you're like yeah like i want to make this place better like cool great like we wish, i wish everyone was like you you know well thank you matt but intentions only go so far i mean people i have made mistakes i have said things i regret and i try to learn from them uh two people in particular i want to call out as uh inspirational to me one is susan arndt who is the managing editor of games radar and more specifically to this panel the co-founder of take this which is a nonprofit that uh, uh, promotes awareness of and addresses issues of mental health in the gaming community. They run the AFK rooms at PAX. If you've ever been to PAX, this is a safe space where you can go to just chill out and even speak with, with a licensed psychologist if you need some help. If you find that uh, all the clamor of PAX is too much, or if you're just dealing with some other issues that happen to come up at PAX, that's a safe space for you to go. And I just think it's remarkable that an event like a, a place like that exists and it, waypoint.vice.com has an article about take this right now i don't know if that's waypoint's editor-in-chief who just plugged that no just a fan okay yes that's right i oh okay you know what that article that you're talking about is in, is in my instapaper queue and i need to <laughs> i need to talk to him because uh that is a topic i think needs to be addressed on my podcast uh great thank you and another, uh, another two people who inspire me are Anita Sarkeesian and Zoe Quinn. Uh, first of all, Feminist Frequency is what inspired me to do the PAX panel that inspired this podcast. Yeah. But more than that, those two professionals have been through so much shit, and they just keep going. I mean, after the election this week, Anita Sarkeesian immediately put up a video in response to it. And Zoe Quinn... She's doing a Kickstarter right now about pounded in the butt with Chuck Tingle. I mean, with all the shit she's gone through, she's still out there making silly, goofy games and having fun. I, I don't know that I could do it. I just need to correct, Ken. Chuck Tingle, uh, yeah, is this serious business? Yeah, it's serious. Just so serious you know, it's not, it's not it's a no joke. joke. No. <laughs> <laughs> I stand corrected. I'm sorry. Okay, I believe it's kickstarted in the book. Yeah, kickstarted in the book. Yeah. I meant no offense. <laughs> I make mistakes. I learn from them. Internalize it. Okay. I'm sorry. Speaking from a place of privilege here. I have to... Uh, on that note, why don't we open it up to questions? If anybody in the audience has anything they'd like to ask any one of the four people up here, just raise your hand and I'll come over with a microphone. Okay, we have a question. Hello, young lady. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> so, you talked about read only memories with the confidence that you're familiar with the game. Can you give, for the people, for the people listening or in the room who may not be familiar with read only memories, can you give a fast summary? It doesn't just come. Of course, wow. Uh, so Read Only Memories is a game that uh, I think after Gamer X1 or Gamer X2, someone came up and was like, well, when are you guys going to make your own game? It was after Gamer X1, yeah. They're like, why don't you guys make a game? You know, you made a conference, make a game. And I was like, okay. Um, <laughs> that's so easy. That's so easy. Um, and so we thought about it and we thought about it and we are like, okay, how do we include our Gamer X mascot, which is this little like blue robot turning. Um, there's actually two mascots that were kind of just faded away a little bit. 
But you know, how do we include our mascots and create like a skate game? And we were trying to think how do we create a game like a game that would be queer, but also like fun for everybody, but also be inclusive for everybody, right? Like I mean, if we make a game that's like okay, starring, you know, um, straight white cis, you know, uh, protagonists, and it's just maybe the same old, same old. If we choose like something that's like too diverse, right? Then it's all of a sudden we'd be like, oh, the gay people made a diversity <laughs> game, right? And I was like, that's never gonna hit. I want to make sure that we're going to post effort into something that's going to be something that people are going to ingest. You know, like I think that one of the things I really like about things like Steven, uh, Steve, Steven Empire, Steven Universe, <laughs> and Empire is like these are shows that uh, are subversive to to an extent. You know, like Empire deals with a lot of cross sectionality within like you know the POC universe. It deals with you know mental disabilities, queerness, all these things, and but they they combine it, which is like. This really interesting kind of soap opera and you know uh, really cool new music and stuff like that. So that way it reaches an audience that might never be like I don't, I don't necessarily watch a, a queer you know show. Or even with Steven Universe, I think if you had originally advertised it as like three lesbian space rocks, <laughs> I don't think that the average like, you know <laughs> Joe Schmo might that might not not get invested in it. But I think that the fact that they kind of at least originally centered it around like this this white protagonist and kind of allowed it to subvert to this other thing, allowed it to become a thing. So I think that when we when we started working on the game, we're like how do we how do we present something subversive, how do we something's gonna be, you know, digested well. So we created a like a point click where the protagonist is just you and you choose your pronouns and they kind of just like ingest it into the world. And turning the gender neutral robot kind of is like the mouthpiece for you. Um, and so yeah we created a point click and uh, Growing up, I was really inspired by games like Snatcher and Gabriel Knight and Phoenix Wright. So I was just like, oh, how do you know? I want to create something kind of in that, in that, that realm. And I also realized that, that doing something in the point click world allows for, because there's so much text, you can include queer content in a way that isn't, like if you make like a, a puzzle, like in my mind, is create an action game, and you're like going through different levels. If you have like a cutscene, it's like, oh, very, like it's just like very like, it would just be weirdly like, you know, I mean, not, not, not that you couldn't do it, but, you know, like, then, I, again, I didn't want it to be, like, the gay game. I wanted it to be something, I wanted to create a product that the average, the average you know, like, consumer would just look at and be like, oh, that's interesting. And it, it almost, it's, by the time they get, in, you know, and, uh, hopefully by the time they start playing the game, get the story, they get hooked, that they, even if they don't really like queerness, or they're like, oh, well, I don't like Pixie Pilger, or they kind of like, ah, whatever. And they give it a chance, right? Because like, that's kind of our hope, is, like, how do we so, yeah, so we don't know the game, Real Memories, Point Click Adventure, takes us to Neo San Francisco, 50 years in the future, explores gender and lots of stuff, it does it in a way that it's too preachy, um, and it's coming out for PS4 and Xbox in January. Yeah. Voice acting, including voice acting from Zoe Quinn, and uh, lots of really, yeah, yeah, Zoe Quinn's in it, and uh, uh, what's his face from uh, Different Strokes? Uh, Gary Coleman? No, not Gary Coleman. <laughs> <laughs> Willis. Oh. Uh, Todd Bridges. Okay. Todd Bridges oh. is in it. The voice of Lee from The Walking Dead, Clementine from The Walking Dead, Chia from Son of Four Golden, and uh, Wash and Quack. That is so cool. Yeah, I'm really excited. We're like, wow, that's excellent. Thank you. And yeah. you, can, you can check out the current version of Rolling Memories on the show floor this weekend. Oh, no, it's the new version. Oh, it's the new version. Yeah, all right. It's all done. It's been done for a while. We're just. Excellent. And Starcross is down there too, right? You should check that out. Oh, yeah. So, uh, quickly plugging the, the new thing I'm doing since I've emerged from. Um, College. Uh, so I am the uh, one of the co-founders for Contigo Games. Uh, we're down in the exhibitor hall right now, showing the first game that we're working on, uh, which is called Starcrossed. It's a cooperative bullet hell game about magical girlfriends in space. Um, saw some good reactions. Thanks. Um, we're really really excited about it. Um, we're planning on putting in um, like a story mode where you can actually choose different characters to play as and kind of interact with the world and save the galaxy from their perspective. Um, so it includes uh, both uh, characters who identify as uh, women, but also characters who identify as non-binary. Um, we're taking a lot of inspiration from very classical sort of magical girl things like Sailor Moon um, and Cardcaptor Sakura, things like that. Um, so please come check us out if you have a minute. Cool. Uh, Khadija, do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, I'm really sorry, Ken, that I put you on the spot about that single. <laughs> That's what I'm working on right now. Wait, um, you're working on that? Yeah. What? <laughs> what? No, I'm working on asking you for forgiveness. Oh. Yeah, no, 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 
hard. That, that's a much harder assignment. <laughs> that's what I say. That takes more time and effort. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, I thought um, this was like an announcement. You're like, oh, yeah, well, I've been working on this weird yeah. game. <laughs> yeah. By the way, I am Zoe Quinn. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Zoe Quinn and Chuck Ting. No. Oh, the same anyway. time. I just realized that, that Zoe Quinn is Symmetra. No, Symmetra. Uh, Zoe Quinn is Sombra in real life. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> you know, because Zoe Quinn has, like, the, the chip. Like, oh, oh. and she can like hack like things with it, and, stuff. <laughs> and I was like, never really put it together. But. She too has been on <laughs> my podcast. Yeah, sure. Yes. Yeah. No. Whoa. <laughs> uh, She's only on the public test server right now. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> so we're, we're wrapping up here. I just want to say uh, to disclose any conflicts of interest. If I have mentioned anybody up here, like take this or. Uh, kickstart in the butt or feminist frequency <laughs> you should just assume I gave them money at some point whether it was Kickstarter or Patreon uh, everybody up here I've had dinner with each of you because we're all friends we're awesome you're awesome thank you for being my friends and uh, why don't we just on the way out mention again who we are and where you can find us online Matt well I think that if you enjoy this show and you enjoy topics like this you should right now make a note to go on your local uh, Podbean or iTunes and subscribe to Polygamer because it's a great show that you listen to every other week and get some good learnings in and it's not too long and it's a good keeps your mind fresh Polygamer uh, yeah my name is Matt Conn you can find me on that and you can check out Real Memories 2064 Real Memories uh, downstairs there's like a room where we're showing it off and you can see all the voice acting and check it out it's coming in January thank you Matt I'm Khadija. I'm also a voiceover artist, and you can find me at khadijasvoices.com, and I'm on Twitter as Khachov, or K-H-A-K-H-O-V, and I like making friends, so say hi. Hey, Francesca? Uh, I'm Francesca. You can find me on Twitter at Chesky. It's C-E-S-C-H-I-I-I. And you can also find Contigo Games on Twitter. We're just at Contigo Games. Thank you. And I'm Ken Gaggy, host of the Polygamer Podcast. You can find me at polygamer.net. Thank you. This has been Polygamer, a GameBits production. Find more episodes, read our blog, or send feedback at polygamer.net. Who's my dream guest? Uh, I, uh, I, I, well, I was astonished when Zoe Quinn agreed to be on my show. And, you know, she was calling from an undisclosed location. And it was, uh, I think, like a bar in the Bay Area or something. And I was kind of annoyed at first because she knew I was going to be calling her. She chose to call me from a bar where it was really noisy. <laughs> and I was kind of sh- shocked that in the end, the audio quality was really good. Except every now and then you could hear Journey in the background. <laughs> which I think actually made for a better podcast. Uh, I did a- ask Anita Sarkeesian to come on the show, and it turns out she actually doesn't do podcasts at all. Uh, and she has given talks about how she doesn't really allow herself to speak off the cuff. Uh, she really feels the need to script herself, because otherwise she'll say or do something that the wrong people will take advantage of. So that's completely understandable. Uh, I don't really have any dream guests at the moment. Like, I, I was so impressed when I had Zoe Quinn and then Taylor Davis, who is a violinist whose work I really admire. She came on the show. Uh, I've tried to get the double clicks, but they now have their own podcast. So certainly they would be dedicating their energy there. So that makes perfect sense. Uh, so no, I, I just, I keep an, I go to conferences like this. I listen to what people are saying that's fascinating or interesting. And very often as topics that had not occurred to me before. So in a way, my, my dream guest is somebody who makes me aware of something that I wasn't even, that I didn't even realize was an issue. So I, I unfortunately cannot answer the question, what issues am I not aware of? A recent guest on my show was Tristan D. Lala, the voice actor who played Adewale in Assassin's Creed 4, Freedom Cry. And he doesn't know me from Adam. I just sent him a tweet said, hey, I do a podcast. Do you want to be on it? And he wrote back and said, sure. And my jaw hit the ground. I'm like, are you serious? That's so nice, yeah. I know. I mean, I teach a graduate course in publishing in Boston, and I have my students produce a podcast. And they are always like, we don't know anybody. Who are we going to interview? And I'm like, think of somebody you would love to interview. Mm -hmm. Find them on Twitter and tweet at them. And they're like, what? I'm like, seriously, (laughs) it works. 
Because people live lives of quiet desperation. They love to tell their own story. They, the greatest <laughs> gift you can give somebody is the opportunity to talk about themselves. And that's what a podcast it can be. Yeah. And uh, it works out great. I think that's fantastic that you're encouraging your students to just reach out to these people that they feel are like completely out of their league. Um, because like even being like back in school, I would I went to my first GBC and felt completely sort of like I went by myself sort of on a scholarship and I knew a few other friends there and I felt completely out of my league and completely like I could not approach anyone because why would they want to talk to me? But just reaching out on Twitter helped me a lot. Um, just reaching out yep. and being like, hey. Yep. Your stuff is cool. I'm at GDC also. Want to hang out? Um, and a lot of people just said, yeah. Yeah. One of my yeah. students, uh, he is not on social media at all. He's a huge introvert. Not on Twitter, Facebook, anything. Uh, but he, I told him, just reach out to somebody that you really admire. And so he emailed Dana Simpson, the artist behind the comic Heavenly Nostrils, also known as Phoebe and her unicorn. And Dana Simpson wrote back and said, sure, let's talk. <laughs> And uh, Dana herself is transgender, so we'll talk about that issue as well. I'm sorry, that's not an issue. Uh, that topic. So it was a great podcast. And he got the opportunity to speak to one of his st stars. Yes. And this happens to be a comic that I read every single day. I was like, oh my god, I can't wait to listen to your homework. <laughs> you know who I wish I could have had on my podcast, who I can't now, unfortunately, is Satoru Iwata. Yeah. yeah. Because just the way he melded the business side and the fun, how he always said he was a gamer at heart, and how there are a lot of mainstream video games that I have not played because I don't see them as having a lot of heart in them. And so I've just let them pass by. But I, you know, Nintendo has made a lot of bad business decisions, but they've made a lot of good games. Nintendo is what really got me into gaming. I had already been playing Atari but it wasn't until Nintendo that I really fell in love with the medium. And that remains true. I still love what they do. I'm going to buy the Switch the day it comes out. Same way I bought the Wii U, the Wii, the GameCube, the N64, the Super Nintendo, and the Nintendo. <laughs> and uh, I, I feel like a lot of that heart was driven by Satoru Iwata, who passed away last July, a year and a half ago. I was actually having dinner with Sabriel Mastin, who has been a guest on my show, when she found out from reading Twitter and shared the news with me, and that was a very sad dinner. Yeah, I, I hope that Nintendo can continue to preserve that spirit without him. So. How much do you think the Switch is going to cost? How much is the Switch going to cost at launch? A critical matter of diversity and equality. I, I, I have a number in my head, and I think if they go above it, it's over. I think it's going to be Wii U again. So the Wii U launched at... There were, there were two models. There were 300 and 350. Oh, right, right. Yeah, yeah. and that was not... Yeah. Good. So I, I think it can't be more than 300. Yeah. But if they if they really want this to succeed in the way that the Wii U did not, I think they have to shoot for 250. Because isn't that what the Wii came out at? No, 199. Really? The Wii was 199? Yeah. yeah. I think 199 I, is a number. I, I think, given that it's been almost a decade since that came out, I don't think they can do that again. Especially given, especially given, well, the Wii actually was the only profitable system, right? The Xbox 360 and the PS3 lost money on every sale. Nintendo was making Even money. Even now, PS4 is like, it's way more technology in it. Like, you think of that, it's like a computer, right? A really high-end computer. You're getting for $400, $300. Right. But I don't they know. Make the money back on it. But, but, there's, but there's so many components to the Switch. You know, there's the cradle, the screen, the controllers, and... I, <laughs> Are you laughing at me? No. Just this intense conversation yeah. going on here. I know. <laughs> I mean, so, uh, so I'm not a hardware guy. I've never built a PC, obviously. But I think that they can't do 200. I don't think they can afford it. I think they can afford it. I don't think I think if they want to be back to being the market leader again, they're gonna, they should do that. Do you think the price will be what determines if they are the market leader or not? I think it's a big. If they don't, if they're going to continue to not have any third party support and only roll out first party games, uh, yes. I don't know. I think the Switch. I think the mobile screen will be too small for console players, and I think limiting themselves to a mobile architecture will be too underpowered for other people. So I. Agree. I I just I, I think they're trying to uh, please both audiences and are going to fail at both. Yeah. Which is a shame because I'm going to buy it. I'm going to buy it too because it, it's um I'm a big Monster Hunter player and that's like a Monster Hunter machine like it's perfect for it. 
So I'm just really excited about that particularly. But yeah, the price point, I don't know. I'm probably not going to buy it on launch. But but also the fact that it doesn't have like all these bizarre two screens, mobile controls, touch interface. Uh, I think that, oh yeah, that's the, no, the lack of a touch interface. People are used to that now. But I think the fact that it lacks all those <laughs> unique features will make it easier for a third party to support their games to it. So that's a, actually a pro in that respect. Nobody wants to release games to the Wii. They're like, oh, what do we do with the second screen? But they're going to just, like, I don't know if I can say this, well, whatever. But, like, the, the P, like Xbox One, if you want to make a game for Xbox, if you're, an, if you're like, an independent developer, they just give it to you. They just give you Xboxes for free. For PS4, it's free. You have to, like, have, like, a VPN and those stuff, right? And for Nintendo, don't you need to have an office? Uh, no, they, they they pulled back some of those things, but it's, like, $5,000 for the dev yeah. game. Oh, right? it's so, a drop in the bucket. Right, and, <laughs> and it's just, like, it's, they... I mean, this has always been the issue, right? Even back to N64, it's just like they just don't care about third-party people. They don't get it. And I think that that was okay back in the old day when, like, um, third-party games were, like, so... Like, you know, like there's, like, there's a reason why there was the NES stamp of quality and why they were like, oh, Game Studio can only release five games on the NES per year. Yeah. Because people were just putting shovelware on there, right? Um, and there has to be some, some curation. But when you get to the point where you're like... Basically, you have no support for third-party games, and nothing's coming out on it. And when it does, it just gets buried under any of like all the first parties. It's there, and I think that's a, a, a mistake right now. When there's so much great, like you know, if you're not going to release Mother Three, and you're not going to go after and put Undertale on the system, when, like you're just gonna like okay, people of course they're going to find somewhere else to go to get their fix. They're not going to just just wait and be like, oh, I guess I'm not going to play games now. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what was that $99 Android console that Ooh, yeah, yeah. yeah 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 that's oh, worse about it. everyone forgot about it yeah. which is kind of I, I didn't forget it they gave us money they, they were the, yeah, they were nice. part of, we were part of the free the games fund thing that, um, oh, yeah. for real life memories so oh, that was yeah I remember you know the only reason I got into Ouya is because I backed the Reading Rainbow Kickstarter yeah and then they didn't get me a Reading Rainbow branded Ouya yeah like in the end they said sorry too few people selected this for work so we're just going to give you a regular Ouya <laughs> But here's a coupon for a free controller. That's wow! Devastating. And, and like, the, and like, by the time it, by the time it shipped, Ouya had to quite bankruptcy. Yeah. Like, wow! Thanks. Anyway. Wait, uh, can, we, can we answer the previous question still? Anyway, there is a panel in here at 15 minutes, and we need to clear the room to give them time to prepare. So thank you all for coming. Yay, Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Have a great weekend.